APCA is providing regular updates and guidance on COVID-19. On April 16th, we recorded a video dialogue with Hadia Guerrero, Jeremy Fletcher, Anthony Dutine, and Megan Hosey on the topic of the impact of COVID-19 on the mental health of the patient and the clinician. Here's that discussion. Today, we are going to dive into uh, mental health and COVID's effect on that and how we as professionals can help to mitigate that which people are experiencing. Lately in the health field, practitioners um, are starting to acknowledge the social determinants of adverse childhood events, also known as ACEs, and trauma-informed care. Then COVID-19 hits and we realize this is going to be traumatic for people and for some even a trigger of past trauma. And tons of these people are going to be at the doors and facilities of physical therapists who survive the hits of COVID-19. The patients are going to come in with their usual baggage or issues, the stress and fear of existing coronavirus and existing with it. And physical therapists are going to have to manage their patients mindfully, as well as take care of their own mental well-being. So we have three experts today for your viewing, and they're going to share their expertise in this area. Let's start off by giving you each about five minutes to describe your relationship to mental health as a professional and how mental health comes to comes to you or you foresee mental health coming into play in the midst of COVID-19, where we have extreme losses of all things, including life, income, planned events or opportunities, prolonged isolation and abrupt social change. I'm gonna start off with Anthony. Anthony is an advisor on disability and rehabilitation at the Pan American Health Organization, World Health Organization. In this role, he supports countries across the Americas to strengthen their rehabilitation services. Anthony is a physical therapist from the UK and holds a master in development management and is undertaking a doctorate in public health. Anthony, a few words from you. Well, thank you very much um, and thank you for inviting me here and good afternoon or good morning or good evening from wherever you are joining. I know that with uh, Facebook, we're now an interconnected, interconnected world, so I wonder whether there are people from all across the world that are joining today, but um, hello to you all. And I hope first and foremost that you're all keeping safe and keeping well. I'm really pleased that the APTA has um, had a focused session on mental health. Um, this is an unprecedented health crisis that we are facing. And although it is a pandemic of an infectious disease, we are clearly seeing that there are major mental health implications, both for people who experience COVID-19, as well as the whole population. I'm sure I'm connecting to most everybody who's, um, ex who's living in quarantine uh, in self-isolation um, or other um, uh, or other situations which impacts on all of our uh, mental health and well-being so I think it's great that APTA has decided to do a, um, a piece on this I work for the Pan American Health Organization which is the WHO office for the region of the Americas and also the main health agency for the inter-american system and in that role, um, we support countries uh, across the 52 countries and territories of the Americas um, to develop their health programs and systems in non-COVID times. My work is mainly focused on strengthening rehabilitation services. Um, and in COVID, obviously, that has focused more on the, the COVID response. I'd like to just sort of start with a few words um, of what we're doing. And I think we recognized quite early that this needed to have a major emphasis on mental health and developed mental health plan that looked at groups um, in particular vulnerability, but also recognizing that this was all a population approach that we need to make sure that people are promoting their health and well-being. 
Um, uh, uh, and at the same time, recognizing that health services are strengthened to ensure that specialized mental health services are available for those who require them. We're also seeing across the region that the group who particularly may have additional requirements for mental health support are health professionals such as yourselves, physical therapists, physical therapy assistants and physical therapy students. You're on the front line of addressing this. You're working with people either affected by COVID or people who are impacted by COVID because your normal patient load has obviously changed um, by people who are concerned about non-COVID related health needs that they have been either seeing you for or new physiotherapy needs that have been um, emerging. And so we need to make sure that you have the tools to support the clients that you are seeing. To that end, I want to talk firstly about as clinicians, as providers of PT services and some of the mental health support that you might be providing to your clients. So first of all, people who experience COVID, we know that a, a, a proportion of those um, people with COVID experience more severe symptoms and may require um, uh, ventilation, uh, may require significant um, interventions, medical interventions. And this is impactful both from a physical point of view, but also deeply from a psychological point of view. And I know Megan, who's doing day-to-day -day work on intensive care, will be able to talk about a little bit more about the psychological impacts uh, on the mental health of people in intensive care. So I won't prolong on that. Suffice it to say, we're also seeing that as people recover and start to step down into uh, step down facilities um, and, and going home, those physical and mental needs continue. People begin to process the experience that they have had. And as physical therapists, you're likely to be on the front line of helping to support patients, help support families and others come to terms with the experience that they've been through. Been through. So it's really important that you have the tools and support, not only to be able to listen, to provide support to those, but also to be able to flag to more specialized services and experts like Megan, should you need to, um, psychologist uh, teams. And so my first recommendation is know where the support is coming from, know what you can do. Um, we cannot separate the physical from the mental. And so in this time, you will be called upon for giving psychosocial support. The second element is those people who require physical therapy, um, who may be in your caseload already, or maybe in hospitals, who are not COVID impacted, but are worried about the impact that COVID will have on their functioning, on their well-being, on their levels of pain, um, or what might happen if they do contract COVID. And again, as frontline health workers, you have an important role to play in helping to disseminate information, in helping to share um, uh, where people can find the most accurate and up-to-date information and also to help guide them through their rehabilitation journey in new and different ways and probably that involves more psychosocial elements than maybe you do when you're seeing people face to face. Motivation is going to be a huge aspect of the work. The second bit, and I know that we want plenty of time for questions, so I'm just going to finish here and, and, and leave others to sort of go, is you yourselves as human beings who are also going through the COVID-19 crisis. Many of you are trying to juggle home lives, homeschooling with children. Um, many of you are trying to support families, reaching out to family members, and you yourselves going through your own mental health needs and I think it's important that you are in touch with those mental health needs and that you are addressing your own mental health needs and support and the WHO has come up with a number of um, activities um, and a number of ways in which you can do including making sure that you are tuning out of the constant news cycle of COVID-19 for, for periods of time which we know can be draining for us all that you are continuing regular routines of sleep of diet, of exercise, that you are maintaining social contact, even if we are physically distanced, and that you yourselves are looking after yourselves because you can't be the best physical therapist you can be if you yourself are going through a mental health crisis. So first and foremost, look after yourself, then thinking about what you can do for the people that you see with or without COVID. So I'm gonna leave it there, pass on to the next presenter, and I look forward to your questions and responses. Thank you so much, Ant.
Again, my name is Hadia Green Guerrero. I am a senior practice specialist at the American Physical Therapy Association, and I am also a physical therapist. And it is my pleasure to, one, invite our next speaker, and two, ask you, while we are allowing the speakers to give their first thoughts, you add your questions to the chat box, and we will do our best to answer them as they come in. Our next electric speaker is Dr. Megan Hosey. She's, a professor, she's an assistant professor and clinical psychologist at John Hopkins School of Medicine. Her specialty is in the psychological care of critically ill patients with acute respiratory failure. She works with PTs shoulder to shoulder each day. Megan. Hello, everyone. Um, first, thank you so much to Anthony, who gave a great introduction to um, both sides of what we're dealing with, both work with patients um, who may or may not have COVID and also the importance of healthcare providers looking after themselves. And so, as Hadia mentioned, uh, my area of specialty is in the intensive care unit at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, so first, I might just tell you a little bit about what patients who've experienced acute respiratory failure um, uh, tell us about the mental health complications associated with severe illness. Many of our patients in the context of COVID are being deeply sedated and prone. Unfortunately, this is not consistent with clinical practice guidelines that usually encourage our critical care physicians to keep people awake and moving. And this is for myriad reasons. Um, our, these patients are sicker than our typical acute respiratory failure patients, and they also have less access to family and providers due to the need for PPE and reduced spread. Many of our patients tell us that while they're critically ill, they experience a phenomenon called ICU delirium, which is hallmarked by inattention, hypersomnolence, delusions, and hallucinations. Many times patients tell us that they experience their healthcare providers as other than healthcare providers and come out of the experience with increased anxiety, depression, and symptoms of PTSD. Um, this is also we're finding evolving as patients move to the wards. Um, you can imagine that not being able to breathe is anxiety provoking as PTs. We know that we're kind of built that way. And so working with patients on anxiety management and breathlessness management is going to be a really important thing for these folks. Um, another interesting and potentially new concern for these patients is that once they left the hospital, they're now thinking about potentially still being COVID positive and going home to loved ones who will need to care for them. You can imagine that this is also highly anxiety provoking and patients are starting to, to tell us a little bit about the stigma of living with COVID and going into the community. So this is just a little bit of a window on what you might experience if, if you're working with patients who have COVID. And next to just build a little bit on what Anthony mentioned in terms of providers, sometimes it helps to have a framework for thinking about where we are in the context of all of this. Many of, um, many of us are at different stages of coping with the, with the COVID pandemic. A helpful framework comes from our literature in psychological first aid or disaster management. You can think about these events a little bit like you might think about a marathon. First starts with a preparation phase where people know that a major event is happening and they start to get ready. This might be hallmarked with things that we call anticipatory anxiety. Um, the anticipatory anxiety in these phases can be worsened, as Anthony mentioned, by doing things like looking at media and social media more than is helpful. Um, watching what's happening in other places may help us to prepare a little bit, but it can also inflame a situation by get flagging issues that may or may not actually occur in your area. So that's sort of the preparation phase. The next phase is action, and that's when we're jumping in, working with patients, or figuring out our next steps in our day-to-day -day practice. This can 
be met with things like excitement and, and energy to meet the challenge. A next phase might include fatigue or exhaustion. For patients who, or for PTs who are working shoulder to shoulder with COVID patients, this can include things like moral distress as you see the suffering of others and wonder how to manage your practice in a different and new way. Um, or it can have the impact of feeling like you're very big and very small at the same time, knowing that you're just one provider in a sea of very sick people, but also having a major impact on, on individuals' lives. The final phase of all of this, and we are going to get there, is recovery. Recovery might look like thinking back on everything that's happened, wondering if we've done enough, and in those phases, if you find that you're having symptoms of anxiety, depression, or PTSD that are getting in the way of your day-to-day, -day, like your work or your social relationships, that's when it is, will be especially time to look, at, look for a mental health provider who can help you put all of this into context and make sure that we're making the most out of this experience. One important thing to note in all of this is that the modal response to human tragedy is resilience. Although a small proportion of patients and providers, somewhere between 30 and 40%, might need additional help to cope, what we find in most places is that the majority of people will come out the, out, come out the other side of this okay, and even with some form of what we would call post-traumatic growth. That is not to discount the fact that some people will need additional help. In no way are we suggesting that people who need additional help are weaker. In fact, what we know is that people who are vulnerable enough and brave enough to ask for help will do better. So this is a complicated picture, but the good news is, is PTs are people who are highly trained in watching human suffering and helping people recover from it. And they're also massively ready to meet this challenge even if it requires a little bit of creativity. So I'm happy to take any questions people might have about survivorship of critical illness and also to provide any resources that might be helpful for you guys. Um, thanks so much. Thank you both. We are already getting plenty of nuggets from both Anthony Dutain and Dr. Megan Mosey. And we are gonna transition to our third speaker, Dr. Jeremy Fletcher. Jeremy Fletcher is a doctor of physical therapy, board certified orthopedic specialist, major in the U.S. Army Reserve, and is currently a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation clinical scholar. Dr. Fletcher serves as an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of South Alabama and is a consultant for Veterans Recovery Resources, which is a nonprofit organization seeking to reduce barriers to mental wellness in veterans along the Gulf Coast. He has presented at state, national, and international levels on the topic of topics of chronic pain, health behavior, and health promotion, and was recently presented with the 2020 Federal Physical Therapy Section's Innovator Award. Jeremy? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's such a privilege to be here uh, alongside Anthony and Megan and uh, the, the information and the words that are coming out of uh, their mouths and bringing in our profession is just so exciting. Um, I, I, I love the intersection of psychosocial issues as they relate to our profession and uh, lo love the fact uh, that uh, the, the term post-traumatic growth has been talked about even within this small segment of uh, conversation. And um, so I, I'll just I just want to start by saying, hey, I'm a physical therapist that uh, loves the psychosocial components of rehabilitation and want to briefly describe my path uh, to get there. And I think that path started in 2011 when I was sitting on a plane uh, to New Orleans and I read an article by Stephen George that talked about uh, uh, really how in patients with back pain, we know that these psychosocial issues are the greater predictors of outcomes uh, in the patients that we manage. And um, at that time, as a very young therapist, I remember thinking to myself, well, what do we do about that? And uh, at, at, at that time, the only guidance we were given was uh, either refer or uh, manage that person the best you can 
uh, just know that they're probably not going to get much better. Um, and that was what I left school with. And that was very frustrating for me as I entered into clinical practice and uh, became a physical therapist on active duty where uh, I began to manage patients uh, that had a tremendous amount of pain. And I had also been at war for the last uh, really five years. And some of those folks had at that point been at war uh, for three years out of five years. Um, and I, I remember uh, seeing seeing the, the myriad ad of uh, diagnosis that would come across, uh, whether it was depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, whatever the diagnosis was, I knew that I had a very limited ability to have an impact uh, in their lives uh, as a physical therapist. So um, with continued study, continued work, uh, I began to look at the social implications of rehabilitation and uh, through experiences on active duty as a physical therapist, uh, I was able to implement um, reconditioning programs that really spoke to the role of the social environment and its impact on someone's ability to get better. And uh, the military environment's a very unique one. You won't hear terms uh, like, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll hear terms like resilience, but you'll also hear terms uh, where, where people are saying, wow, uh, you know, resilience, how, how can I be more resilient? I've, I've uh, deployed three times in the last five years uh, within my population of people. And uh, you're telling me that I need to be more resilient than that. Um, and, and so it, it was a very interesting time to be a physical therapist while I was on active duty. And um, so I was able to deploy to Afghanistan, uh, spent nine months uh, in a forward operating base shank uh, in Afghanistan, where my role was to rotate around to different combat outposts and provide, uh, you know, really point of contact musculoskeletal care. And uh, within that environment, um, you, it, it is a, essentially a quarantined environment. Uh, we, we are together as a family for nine months. Uh, there's a sense of camaraderie that is uh, bred through that environment that uh, often we uh, as veterans seek uh, even more so when we come back. And um, so what I've found through those experiences is a, a tremendous amount of lessons uh, that veterans and military members have taught me about how to endure these types of situations in these environments. Um, upon redeployment, I had my own mental health issues and struggled with uh, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And as Hadia mentioned earlier on in the presentation, uh, I, I, I've learned, come to learn, the role that adverse childhood experiences have played in my own story uh, of mental health recovery and have also experienced how the power of a community of veterans uh, can improve uh, and, and lead from post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. Um, and so I've been able to use some of those things to uh, bring into my work now with a nonprofit called Veterans Recovery Resources, uh, where we we actually operate under the framework collectively of acceptance and commitment therapy. Uh, and it, it has been a helpful transition as a physical therapist to understand the psychological implications of that framework. Uh, and, um, you know, and its applications to the things that we deal with, such as chronic pain. Um, and re really the role of the psychosocial dimension in uh, recovery. So, um, within Acceptance Commitment Theory 1, it's a practice that I implement uh, now for myself. Um, I have a lot of uh, strategies and techniques that I use for myself, um, even personally, as I've had to navigate these changes as in my role as a professor and then our, in my role as a consultant with this organization. Um, you know, I found myself for the first couple of weeks uh, really extremely motivated, um, uh, chaos and comfort feel uh, it, it feels comfortable to me, uh, and I actually seem to enjoy it. Um, and, and there's a lot of psychological reasons as to why that is. Um, I also know that I need to be careful in those places because uh, I can crash and burn really easily uh, whenever that happens. Um, but without my past experiences, I wouldn't have learned that. And, and without being open and honest with myself about the emotions that I am experiencing at that time, I wouldn't be able to recognize that and implement some strategies that help me manage that. So uh, hopefully I can add uh, to the conversation today, really from more of a personal level, uh, but also, you know, um, as a physical therapist who's made that transition from uh, a traditional biomechanical person to one that uh, considers the effect of the mind and the spirit 
on how the body moves. Thank you so much. And thank you for your service, Jeremy. Um, Megan Marie from the audience says, yay, ACT, so cool, Jeremy. <laughs> and Dr. Mosey is giving you a thumbs up as well. Um, as questions come in, the first one um, I would like to pose to the group is, as physical therapists, they are in a unique position where they are a provider that gets to spend more time and more frequent time on upon episodes with patients. So there's oppor many opportunities and clearly there seems to be one for mental health. So one, I would like to know what tools or screening tools do some of you use or recommend that therapists use for screening? And then if you wanna to touch on beyond the screening test, what does a therapist do? So I, as a therapist, may you tell me to use this screening tool and I learn that somebody scores positively for depression or anxiety and whether it's related to the coronavirus or something else, then what do I do? And that's for any of you. You um, answer your, there you go. Now we hear you. Oh, you're still muted. I'd say, Megan, you, you might be in a better position to talk about specific tools. Um, so so I'll, I'll leave that one with, with you. Um, I think I would say in a general sense as clinicians, and I think this is something that I've seen prior to this and I take forward is I think we are in a unique position as physical therapists to ask people how they are doing, not how their knee is doing, not how their back is doing, not how their shoulder is doing, but how they are doing and, and, and how their families are doing. And I think this time more than any time is a time to be able to make that sort of um, psychological and emotional connection with the people we work with, to ask them about the specific conditions, the specific impairment that we might be seeing them for, but also take a much more holistic approach and ask them how they are doing with, um, with, their, with their journey. And I think that applies both for, um, for COVID and non-COVID uh, uh, patients, and especially perhaps um, those who you may be seeing on a, on a longer term, who you've developed a, a longer relationship with. I think it's really important time to then be able to um, make that sort of uh, connection. I think secondly, and hopefully Megan will touch on, I think it's then important to have the tools to maybe formalize that, to say, is this somebody who needs to see somebody who has more specialism than I do in this area? And how do I get them to see that person? Or how do I facilitate them to um, have the needs met that they have? And so I'll pass over to Megan now perhaps for that. And, and I'm sure Jeremy, and Jeremy as well, you've probably got some of the specific Megan? So I agree 100% with what Anthony is saying. I think that the very most important thing is sort of forging that human connection and, and, and having the rapport where uh, a person or a client is working with you and is willing to say, you know, this is really hard for me. Um, and like Anthony's saying, once that person does disclose to you that they're having some difficulties that might be getting in the way of their life, I'd encourage people to look at a website called um, www.improvelto.com backslash instruments. So the good news is that we have a uh, research group that's been looking at survivorship of severe illness um, for a little while, and there are several validated instruments there. Um, some of our patients might be experiencing new cognitive impairments. So for that, we're recommending the MOCA. Um, for some people might be experiencing new symptoms of PTSD. So you might consider a measure called the impact of event scale six. Um, and then some of the depression or anxiety measures that you might be familiar with are um, the hospital anxiety and depression scale, the patient health questionnaire nine, and the generalized anxiety dis disorder 
scale um, seven. So those are some of the, the quick and dirty instruments that we use. And what, uh, just as Anthony was mentioning, if you're able and you have time and the patient is really interested in that, these might be the things that they fill out with you. You take a look together and say, you know, maybe right now you're okay, or maybe right now let's figure out how to help you get to the next step. Thank you, Megan. And for those of you who are unable to see the comments, uh, Megan Marie also left some of her recommendations for ACT or ACT-based self-guided videos for coping with co and some validated instruments. Jeremy, did you want to add anything before we move on to our next question? Uh, yeah, I can go real briefly. Um, you know, I think within our practice of physical therapy, we have some instruments that are routinely used uh, in different settings that do pick up on uh, things like depression, anxiety, fear avoidance, kinesiophobia, uh, those types of things that are routinely used, uh, like the start back screening tool. Uh, the Ospro Y is another one that's really helpful for uh, the outpatient setting. Um, you know, I, I but I, I do want to reiterate the fact that uh, people are not going to disclose that information to you often unless there is a therapeutic alliance. Um, and, and really to, to emphasize the importance of, uh, you know, being, being present with someone in their suffering, uh, I think is very important. I think that's, to me, the importance of self-care in this current time is to prioritize yourself first so that you can be available to the suffering of someone else. Uh, it's just such, such a strong need psychologically for others. Uh, and when that happens, man, they'll, they'll disclose things to you. Uh, and it, you know, often that we're not ready to deal with. And I, and I do think it need, we need to be prepared to have other mental health professionals, uh, in our network of people that we can rely on. Um, so I think that's really the only thing I wanted to add. Thank you. I wanted, um, to get back a little bit later into the actual physiological impact on the, um, mental health status that was mentioned with respect to hypoxic events that are related to these respiratory failures or pulmonary. But before we do that, I wanted to touch on the social aspect. So part of this coronavirus response has been for different communities to be shut down. As there's been very severe, in some cases, change in social um, social ability and people's being even isolated. And as we know, particularly with elderly, isolation is actually linked to morbidity. Um, so what should we be expecting or what, or screening for, or looking out for inpatients who have been isolated for prolonged periods of time? And or how should we manage those situations where we might be going into homes of people who are isolated other than for your visit as a provider for those in home care and managing both the patient's um, mental status, but your own because they may be in a needy space and you have to manage, you may leave with that, feeling that burden as a clinician. And that's for anyone. I'm I'm happy to go again, but I wonder whether I don't know whether someone else wants to start or Jeremy. Jump or... right in, Ant. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I think it's important to say we are in uh, an abnormal situation, and I think the first thing to to state is it can be perfectly normal or it can be perfectly expected that we are all have some uh, psychosocial distress. We're all having some um, emotional response to the situation that we are in. So I think whilst we're, we're saying on the one hand, it's important to look out for signs. It's also important to distinguish what are signs of the perfectly rational um, uh, state of people feeling uh, 
fearful, people feeling um, worried about the situation. Um, the economic situation we know is 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 um, impacting, and so I think it can be quite normal to feel those those um, situations. And that's where I think our ability as listeners, as empathizers, as uh, um, professionals who maybe do have a bit more time. Uh, to, to spend with people is 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 really important, and I think you know then the tools help us to separate where the 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 situation may have gone to a point where somebody needs additional levels of support and and perhaps um, uh, re- requires those interventions um, that that Megan and and that Jeremy were talking about before. Um, I, I think as well, and, and maybe this is or isn't the, the, the point to, to mention it, I think as healthcare professionals as well, unfortunately, we may find ourselves particularly socially isolated. And, and we may even find that we experience some avoidance from members of society, mm-hmm. from family members, for possibly understandable reasons for, for recognizing that, that those um, they're not wanting to expose, but that increases then the burdens of, our, of, of ourselves as health professionals uh, to, to, um, to be socially connected, to make sure that our own mental health and well-being is looked after where the, that isolation has, has, um, has come upon us. So I think, um, again, I'll, I'll leave to Megan and, and Jeremy to, to maybe add to that. Anthony, I'll uh, follow up with a couple of comments there. Um, As you were speaking, the things that came to my mind were a reflection back to a deployed environment where I was uh, being asked to look at people's shoulder pain while I was in the shower. Um, And that's a pretty awkward place uh, for somebody to come up to you and ask (laughs) for help. Um, and, and, it, and it really uh, resulted in, and, and I was a very busy medical provider uh, during that during that deployment, and um, it, it, you know, and I lived essentially with my patient population at the same time, and so they had constant access to me, and um, it, it, it did result in uh, some burnout. Um, it did result in um, some social isolation for myself that I wanted to uh, separate myself from others. Um, and, and I don't know that at that time I really recognized that. Um, I, I do know that I also experienced a tremendous amount of grief uh, from people that were lost within our brigade. Um, and and uh, I, I knew most of them personally. And in and, and the cultural implications there were that we were at a period of war and it was essentially to move on. Uh, our mission was to drive on and we'll process emotions later. Um, and I think what I've come to learn from that experience that I try to carry forward now is, um, you know, to really just be open to these experiences that we're having, um, providing no judgment uh, toward uh, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. Um, uh, but, but, but sharing these experiences with others can be exceptionally helpful. We implement peer support groups within our current work. Um, and, um, while, while we are not providing, uh, the same level of care that we were previously, uh, and, and we don't have that social connection, uh, through our healthcare provider teams, we, we are reaching out more frequently with our peer support people, uh, that, that do have on the ground, better on ground. I would say on the ground connections uh, with our patient population. So I think from the patient population perspective, it's helpful to, um, to reach out and check in with people, but then also within our own, uh, within ourselves uh, to ensure that as professionals, we are caring for ourselves. Um, those are some things that just kind of come to my mind as, as you let off that discussion. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes. And Megan, did you want to add anything? And please, as an audience, continue or you can put your questions in the comments. Uh, No, I I think that um, what Jeremy is saying is really important. So there are times where um, it's always kind of important to do a check in with yourself about 
where you are and how you're coping. And I think that these times of, of extreme stress, we shouldn't be doing that less. We should be doing that more. Um, those questions might look like, how do I feel like I'm doing at home? Um, how do I feel like I'm doing at work? What are the barriers to my having a good day right now? And when you're you're having a lot of check marks, that there are a lot of barriers, as Anthony was saying before, that might be time where you kind of slow down and say, how do I put my own oxygen mask on first um, before I'm handing it over to my patients? Um, um, the best way to take care of other people is to take care of yourself first. That's a really great advice and thoughts from all of you. And what I'm hearing is that um, we need to do self check-ins and maybe even a hint of um, setting boundaries or limits. And to your point earlier, Dr. Mosey, about the anticipation um, phases of traumatic events, it sounds like one, um, of course, we're in the midst of that, but it, that we, uh, again, as clinicians, will be in that position of anticipation, anxiety, because we know that after the mounds and mounds of people are affected with the coronavirus, we are going to have a ton of rehabilitation patients. So we're going from being active physical therapists to some of us not even having jobs to being flooded, the system being flooded again. Um, so I think you all brought up some very good points. I don't know if any of you want to respond to that before we move on. Can I, I, I have one question actually for the group that's here that I, I, I would, I've been sort of contemplating a little bit myself and it's been uh, sort of the role of hope uh, within mm. this particular period of time and how um, I, I think many people are, are really looking, looking for that and um, how, how we might be able to use hope uh, and um, and also, I think spirituality is another dimension of uh, dealing and managing with this as well. So I, I'd love to hear your guys' um, input on that. Uh, well, I think one thing we know from research and perhaps from personal experience is that um, hope is really important in recovery from any type of major life event. Um I think that the main thing to think about with hope is what are we hoping for and asking ourselves about the realisticness of what we're hoping for in every moment. Right. So um, can we be hopeful that all of this will be over? Yes. I think that's a realistic expectation. Can we be hopeful that there will be some kind of silver linings to this experience? Yes. I think that's true. Um, for example, one of the things that gives me a lot of hope, about our COVID survivors is that physical therapists in particular have done a lot of heavy lifting at bringing the medical community back to a thought about the integration of mind and body. Our COVID survivors are not going to be facing the same type of recovery they would have a decade or even two decades ago because they have clinicians who are willing to look at and think about the mental health implications. This may not have been the case 10 years ago. This type of webinar may not have happened 10 years ago. And so for me, that's a huge silver lining is that on the other side of this, COVID survivors will not be looking at a medication or a, a testing model only. They're going to be looking, hopefully the lucky ones will be looking at a recovery process that takes care of them as a whole entire person. So, so I think hope um, is really important and just sort of thinking, asking yourself the question, what am I hoping for? And is that a realistic expectation is, is good. Um, and I think a lot the same about spirituality. For some people, spirituality is a very important part of recovery, um, for others less so. But I think that um, when you're incorporating spirituality into your recovery, um, one thing that's been demonstrated to us by our patients is that those who think about spirituality as a process that's there to walk alongside of you, a process that's there to keep your mind open to new experiences and to how you're processing life is going to be the best way. Rather than saying my spirituality is validated when I have X specific outcome. 
right? Yeah. Like <laughs> if you're saying, I know that my relationship with God or my relationship with spirituality is validated by my coming through this and never getting sick, that is not going to be the best approach to spirituality. But if you say, you know, my spiritual practice is going to be there for me no matter what I face, and it's going to be a source of comfort in all of these times, that's generally going to give folks the best bang for their buck in, uh, in, in seeking a spiritual practice. Let me know what questions you have about that or if that was clear. Hopefully um, it made sense. Yeah, it definitely made sense to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd just add, and again, from my own clinical perspective, um, taking my WH hat off and just bringing sort of a personal experience in, I think as, as, as therapists, as physical therapists, we bring a range of tools to the table. And I think it's important that one of the most important tools we have at this time is our ears to listen to what people are saying and then bring the things that perhaps a person needs to hear. Sometimes that might be hope. Sometimes it might be motivation. Sometimes it might actually be bringing people down to the present and not getting too far ahead of themselves. So I think it's not just one thing. It's not just hope or spirituality or, or, um, or motivation. It's, it's about thinking about what does that person need to hear at this time in order to get the best out of what they're needing to do and and how do I respond to that how do I listen to what they're saying to me or what their family's telling me or, or what their nurses are telling me or what their doctors have told me and how do I bring that in alongside my physiotherapy interventions to to bring in the sort of psychosocial and that's really being interdisciplinary and and coordinating and again and I'm sure um you have done it in in your work Jeremy and, and certainly Megan would sort of say we need to be coordinating with the psychologists and the dietitians and the occupational therapists and the speech and language therapists and bring all that in and find out what is helping that person to have hope or, 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 or progress in their, in their therapy. And I think that's going to be a, a really important tool for us to begin to take forwards. And I think somebody's put in the panel, what are the things that we have learned from this? And hopefully one of these things, as you've said, Megan, is, is this sort of internet interconnectivity and taking a holistic approach to, to therapy. And I, I think, um, this certainly in my experiences is um, one of the real first times that in an emergency situation um, that really the mental health aspect has been right there alongside the, the medical and, and the, the kind of clinical response that mental health has been front and, and foremost of our response and in our planning and thinking about what we're needing to do. And that's really encouraging to see for the future as well. So from the audience, do, they've asked, do any of the panelists have thoughts on how COVID-19 may impact our field of physical therapy in the future? Big question. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll take a, a quick stab, and I know we're at about 12 minutes remaining. Um, I, I think the first thought that comes to my mind in terms of how it impacts our future practice um, is, you know, one, one, obviously we have to prioritize um, this connection between the mind, the body, and the spirit. I, I think that's a thought that raises to my mind. We, we continue to learn so much more about how um, unmet psychosocial needs lead to poor health outcomes within our patient populations. Um, and, and, and when we don't address those, uh, we, we can expect poor health outcomes. And, and as, a, as a healthcare system, that's at a, that's at a tremendous cost. Um, I, I think about my wife who has pneumonia right now, and um, she went to the emergency room recently. And um, when she went to the emergency room, they were strictly allowing only critical people to enter into the hospital system. Uh, and essentially sent her home. And, um, and, and you know, that there's a tremendous amount of implications psychosocially to, to just that right there, um, just that one thing where, well, you know, this system was one in which I, I used to could trust, um, I used to have an expectation for, um, and now it's different. And, and I think that's going to have a tremendous implication. 
Um, and so I think it's just going to even heighten. And that's tend to be what crisis does is it tends to heighten the problems that we already have and brings those even more to light. Um, and so I, I, I do. I, I think our profession as a physical therapist, uh, as a physical therapy profession, uh, th- this will move the conversation of how we address psychosocial issues within our profession. And, you know, who do we walk alongside with? Um, in those. And, and, and that's why I'm really excited to see a clinical uh, psychologist here uh, on this chat. It's just so, so welcoming. Um, so th- that's my, that's my take on it. And that's my thought, I guess. So anyone can add to that, but um, I want to add to the conversation as far as the future of the field of rationing care and how mm-hmm. managing that. So I think that um, when we hear that or see that in the news uh, recently that people are just thinking about uh, physicians and those like in the ICU and who are having to deal with life or death. But it seems to reason that as the system becomes flooded with um, post-infected individuals who are in the post-ICU, post-acute care phase are there are going to be times when the census is so high that therapists are going to be in a similar position where it's not life or death, but it is a rationing of their services. Mm. So in addition to the future of our um, field that any of you can ex- t- touch on, that's another area that maybe you might have thoughts. Yeah, I'm I'm happy I'm happy to expand a little bit on on it, and and I think there's many ways that you can look at that question, and it's a big question, and and I think the immediate is there will be a wave of people recovering from COVID, um, and and an increase on the need for our services because, um, uh, and and there will also be a number of people who've not been able to access our services during this period or have had a reduced. Um, ability to access our services during this this period that we need to then get back to and, uh, and address and there's a there's a an image floating around on, on social media somewhere of the the immediate acute needs and then the, the the chronic needs and the psychosocial needs and it's a really interesting sort of um, uh, visualization of actually this this is going to sort of come in waves and have an impact for for those who have known me or know my work my my work's often around getting rehabilitation onto the health map and we're often seen in rehabilitation as an afterthought as as a a, as a piece that isn't on the the front edge and we've been really working hard to show the value that rehabilitation plays and I think something like COVID um, has brought that front and center and and I think it's shown the role that things like uh, chest physiotherapy, like speech and language pathology and so on, um, and, and in the most critical care settings, the importance of early mobilization and positioning and so on, that the, the role that we have to play in those acute settings that are life and death. You know, physiotherapists are working around the world in critical care settings, helping to save lives right now. And, and, and so we don't just have a role in the aftercare. We have a role in the in the critical care as well, alongside doctors, nurses, psychologists um, and, and others. But then even more importantly, where we're seeing that in this critical situation where there is a high demand on medical beds, that we have a very, very important role of then helping that step down to free up those beds and making the system of the medical system that we have that vital role to play in ensuring that people are recovering to their optimal level of functioning and best ability, but also that they can do that in the fastest and safest way possible to allow then those beds to be freed up for others who need them as well. And I think that's uh, a, a really important part of the discussion that I hope when we look and reflect after this, we say we were a key actor in this response. We are a key actor in the health system and we can't go back to being an afterthought. Thank you. And unfortunately, our time is winding down. So I am going to thank all of you um, and the team, Dr. Megan Mosey and Dr. Jeremy Fletcher, for taking the time to impart upon us your wisdom and expertise. And I want to give each of you an opportunity for a minute or two to give your final thoughts. And I'd like to start with Dr. Megan Mosey. Um, I- 
just want to take the opportunity to thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you today. I um, PTs have always been a group of people who are very inspirational to me and even more so in the face of this epidemic. Um, my hope, it's similar to what Jeremy and Anthony are saying, is that this blows the doors wide open on how we think about physical therapists. Um, for example, in our, our, our hospital at Hopkins, we've completely let go of efficiency as a predominant standard and, and, and our PTs are rehabbing in place. And it's been gorgeous to watch. We're not worrying about billing. We're not worrying about how many patients did you see today. We're worrying about what's the best for the patient sitting in front of me and how am I going to get them home? So I hope that this blows that paradigm wide open and continues. So thank you for all that you guys are doing in every place that you're working and keep up the good work. I'm going to ask, thank you so much, Dr. Mosey. I'm going to ask Jeremy, Dr. Jeremy Fletcher to go next. And for those of you listening, if you have questions that you want to post to um, either APTA or the panelists, um, before Jeremy you speak, I'm going to have Dr. Mosey give her contact information. But to contact APTA, it's practice hyphen D as in David, E, P as in Peter, T for department at APTA.org. And Dr. Mosey, if you want to give your um, preferred method of contact, and then Jeremy, you can go directly after with your one to two minutes of final thoughts. Um, I'm giving my primary way of contact. Actually, this is crazy, but the best way to contact me or my most preferred way is on Twitter. So you can tweet me at Dr. Megan Hosey, PhD, anytime. Thank you. Jeremy? Yeah, I'll just uh, provide my email address through the university, which is jfletcher uh, at southalabama.edu. Any final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts are, uh, again, I, I, echoing uh, what Megan said, just uh, thank everybody for the continued work that they're doing during this period of time. Um, I would encourage everyone to stay, uh, stay well, uh, prioritize self-care at this time, and uh, to, to, to remain hopeful. Um, I also, uh, just as an additional thought, uh, tagging on to what Antti and added a second ago, is uh, I do think that our profession will uh, also consider the role of uh, social organizations um, and how we might partner better with them as well as a as a means to address uh, health co- outcomes in the future uh, too. And that's just based on some training that that I've experienced uh, within the last couple of years. And I think that's important uh, as a, as a, as the future of our profession progresses. So, uh, with that being said, appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this panel today. Thank you so much. And Ant, final words. Yeah, I, I think one note adding on to the conversation I just had about the importance of the role of, of PT and, and somebody quite quite correctly put an important role in home transition and, and, and in the community as well. I just want to re-emphasize that because I probably didn't emphasize it enough. So just a very quick one on, on that. I think uh, secondly, a quick plug, um, and I was, I've had it noted down to mention, um, there's, a, there's a, an approach that the WHO has called MH Gap that is um, delivering mental health at primary care level and it's aimed at healthcare professionals who aren't primarily trained as mental health professionals. Um, so if you are a service provider, if you are uh, somebody who's, who's looking at things, there's a module on humanitarian settings as well, situations that might be relevant for this, but have a look up MHGAP. I'll put the link afterwards as well, because this might be a, a, a training program or a tool that you want to set up and it gives you some some tools and, and approaches that you can apply in your practice as PTs um, that give you some frontline approaches on, on addressing mental health. And the third thing is to just say a heartfelt thank you for all that you are doing, for all that you're doing for people with COVID, for people without COVID, for your friends and for your families and the networks that you're creating. You're making a difference. We are going to get through this and we'll get through it together and we'll get through it stronger. Um, and I look forward to, to hearing all the, the positive stories that are coming out from it once, once this is all done. So um, thank you for arranging to the APTA this chat on mental health as well today. I think, as Megan says, 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been part of the discussion. And now we see it really there. And that's, that's a really encouraging sign. And that Dutin, 
Dr. Jeremy Fletcher and Dr. Megan Mosey. I could not have said all of that you have imparted on us better. APTA and our members, thank you we, and those listening do. We want to wish all of you well as you take care of yourselves and those around you. And we hope that you continue to look to APTA and the World Health Organization as reliable resources moving forward for both your mental health related physical therapy services, as well as all of your tools. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Official guidance is changing rapidly as the COVID-19 outbreak continues to evolve. APTA has set up a webpage to keep you informed at www.apta.org slash coronavirus. Please visit regularly and stay safe. We're all in this together.